military analyst Mike Lyons, who served with various military organizations, both the U.S. and Europe throughout his career, respected voice on a number of networks, publications. Mike, uh, welcome. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. Great to be back with you. Uh, so how surprising was this uh, the success of this counteroffensive, and how successful was it? No, very surprising, and, and it's clearly something that Ukraine had been um, planning for strategically. It looks like they had some kind of feint that went on in the south in Kherson, where Russia can't lose. They can't uh, if, if they lose a battle down there, then they start to lose Crimea, then they lose some of the land that they had taken uh, seven or eight years ago. Um, but what they were able to do is take an economy of force mission, which means they put less people there in Kherson, uh, faked uh, an offensive there, and brought the majority of the troops to the north, in, in Kharkiv, where they did a classic pincer movement and were able to, you know, route Russian soldiers that likely were withdrawing anyway, and they were moving to to the east and to the south. Um, but this is a, a real, real tremendous moral um, victory for uh, Ukraine as they take back land that has been occupied by Russia since March. Um, I think, you know, again, this is a great day for them. They they win a battle, but the question still remains as whether or not they can win the war or not. Yeah, a couple of different dynamics in opposition to each other have got me interested. Number one, I understand that some of the economic sanctions against Russia, limitations on exports and, and, and that sort of thing, are going to make it more and more difficult for them to resupply their forces. On the other hand, they still are a much larger country which, uh, with many more young men they could call up. How do you see that, that kind of uh, opposing dynamics working? So you look in history and you find what, what analogies are existing and you see that wars that start what they think they're going to be over quick, it's called the allure of battle, the short war kind of mentality that which Russia had. They thought this was going to be over very quickly in a, in a fast few days. But now, you know, 200 days later, it's into this stalemate war of attrition. And as history has shown, the, the country that ends up winning this kind of war, the ones that have the higher industrial strength, well, that's still Russia. Russia still has this capacity, as you said, to put uh, troops and material and men in, into this fight, whereas Ukraine is going to be somewhat limited. However, it now comes down to the West. If the West does resupply, if the West does provide material, we have the Germans that should be providing panzer tanks and, and the like, but they haven't, they haven't done them yet. Um, if the West still remains strong at this, then they can possibly extend this out. But, but again, history does show that, the, that you still have to look at Russia and say they have tremendous capability, which is why we can't say that this is they haven't they're losing but they haven't lost yet and ukraine is winning but they haven't won yet either how much were we involved in this counteroffensive? do you have any idea uh, it's got to do with intelligence and the, the the artillery systems and the fact that uh, we were able to deliver uh, munitions basically on time if we're chasing the russians on the other side of the uh, of the of the river there the Alsot river i i think that um you know we, we were providing them the kind of information that allowed um, the Ukraine military to attack where they knew that Russia was weak. And they, they you know, kind of the, the old saying of kind of punch a hole in something and see what happens. Well, every time they punched a hole there, uh, they, were, they kept going further and further. That's the only way I can see them doing this. I mean, some of those Russian units left behind um, uh, food, they, uh, rations that were in, 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 uh, in, in containers and, and the like. I mean, retreating armies do things that are crazy all the time, but the amount of convoys, the prisoners of war, all, all the things the Russians couldn't get out of there fast enough. And, and I just look at that and say, you know, we, we had the intel, we gave them the intel to know where they could attack. So they, they were likely had great optics. Russia was likely blinded, didn't know what was going on, and allowed the Ukraine forces to really rout the, the Russian forces there.
So what you're saying about, you know, the bigger country, greater industrial output, it's undeniable. Um, but I'm picturing what the next, you know, chapter of the Russian effort might look like. And I'm picturing worse supplies, even more antiquated arms and conscripts they've called up. I mean, presumably the first wave of guys was the best they had. Yeah, they're they're getting their most of their conventional forces destroyed right now on the field. Um, what does what does China do? Does China allow its client state to be humiliated like this? Um, we see that they're getting um, artillery shells from North Korea, and that's because likely the things they had in stores for the past twenty years that they they're pulling out have been rusted, and they can't use it. They can't. Uh, they're not, they're not able to, um, to to fire them effectively. Uh, so again, you, you lay this all over, but they still have this industrial strength. Think North versus South in the Civil War, right? As much as the South fought. Uh, admirably in certain places. I mean, it, you know, July 3rd, 1863, if that day goes any different, if Pickett's Charge um, succeeds and the South gets to the high water mark and, and the North loses that battle, we have a completely different country. Well, that's what's happening right now there. The Ukrainian military is fighting ferociously, doing a lot of things in support, but the bottom line is they were grinded down eventually by the, the, the North because it had more industrial power. That's what's going to take place here. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, but that's what's going to happen over the next six months. Wow. So you referenced that particular civil war battle. Um, so that's the way uh, a big, uh, big war can go. Just that one, that one day, that one battle, that one decision, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think you look at things overnight, same like D-Day, June 6, 1944. There are certain times in history where had that day gone differently, the, the world's completely changed. Uh, I think that's the most significant day. That, get, that day in Gettysburg was the most significant day uh, in the 19th century. I think, I think every teenager in America should be paid to go to Gettysburg and see the sacrifice that was made that day by Union soldiers uh, for those three days, and, and in particular, both sides, both sides, both north and south uh, on the field that day. Amen to that. You know, I was just rereading an account of Gettysburg in which they made clear that at a couple of critical moments, there was a literal foot race for the high ground. And guys yeah. who got their three strides first mm-hmm. won and, and repelled the, the rebels. So anyway, yeah. to that point, yeah. Mike Lyons, military analyst on the line. Uh, just one more note, because I can't let it go. What the hell's up with Germany? Why are they not delivering? Is it their domestic politics or what? It's, it's, it's annoying. Yeah, no, it's hard to say domestic politics. It's, uh, you know, think about where Germany was 80 years ago and where they are today. And there's, you know, they have, they do have the largest GDP of all those European countries. I I think, for example, if they don't get in the game, that you're going to see the Poles and you're going to see the Ukraine absolutely sabotage Nord Stream and Nord Stream 2, those pipelines. They're going to make sure that Germany doesn't get anything from Russia. It's not coming from there, at least. I, I don't know. I think they, 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 everybody wants to wake up one day and, and have it be February 21st, where this, it all just kind of goes away. Um, but they owe them those tanks. They owe them the artillery pieces, air defense platforms. Germany has the most capability of those, of those NATO countries right now to make a difference. And, and right now they haven't been. And uh, the question is, they, you know, when are they going to get in the, get in the game? They, they, they won't because... Uh, they they still are hoping among hope that uh, some deal can get worked out. My final question, the Wall Street Journal editorial board today saying we need to be concerned about Putin using nuclear weapons. Is that still something we should concern ourselves with? How much? 
Bobby, tactical nukes, I don't think that, uh, I think it escalates things. It, it, it hurts both sides, obviously, but it also w- would require then, um, you know, Russian citizens would get more involved because they know Ukraine doesn't have these nukes. They could try to say they're coming from NATO. But um, I, I think that uh, we're still a little bit away from that. I, I don't expect him to, to do that right now. Uh, you know, he, he's got, he's going to probably try to wait this out for six months. He's going to try to freeze out Europe. He's going to hope that Western uh, alliance fails and he hopes that uh, you know two years from now he'll be able to claim victory but right now uh, he's he's real the Russian military is in really bad shape Mike Lyons military analyst Mike always enlightening thanks a million for the time we appreciate it okay thanks for having me so then the, the political stuff that you're just talking about with Germany Ian Bremmer uh, you know he studies this sort of thing for a living but he doesn't think the European countries are going to cave on this energy commitment that they're going to go ahead and really suck it up and have a really harsh, difficult, expensive winter and, and are and are willing to uh, to sacrifice in a way that, you know, as is often the case, we as Americans aren't actually having to sacrifice other than tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in this well, and we're stealing those from our children, as usual, deficit spending. Right. Um the Europeans are gonna they're gonna they're gonna notice it right away. They're gonna they're they're what it's gonna cost to heat your home is just gonna be crazy if you can at all. But Ian Bremer seems to think that based on all the polling, and I saw some the other day, is what not like eighties and ninety percentile approval for continuing to support the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. That in they Europe. aren't they in Europe, yeah, that they yeah. aren't going to cave. Well, sunny Spain and Portugal and the south of France, they need to take uh, refugees from northern Europe, at least for the wintertime. A bunch of fat, pale Germans stretched out on the beach there in Portugal, for instance, just, but, to, just to help out. I just think that could be a big deal. I think I think Putin is counting on here. Winter's coming. That's when they cave. That's when the, they all turn against it. And uh, and I get my big advantage. And if, if, if Europe survives the winter with the population still being supportive of the war in Ukraine. I think Putin's going to have a long spring and summer. Yeah, yeah, could be. Well, Germany, give them those tanks. What is this? What is your story, Germany? So weak. Big promises and no delivery. Huh? Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.